Greetings to you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On Thursday, a member of the Humboldt Human Rights Commission said to me, I hope that when you speak to your congregation, you use the word love a lot more than you use the word sin. And it was at the end of a, a cordial hour and a half conversation in my office. She was a nice old woman, a very congenial woman, pleasant and articulate. We had a good conversation. But her hope is a telling one. It's telling of a mind that doesn't know what true love actually is, a mind that doesn't know the word of the Lord. You know, as a Christian, the love that God has for you because you know he has forgiven your sin in Jesus Christ. You know that he willingly took all of your sins upon himself and died for them. Now, her hope for me actually has a theological name. It's called gospel reductionism, and it's not good. Don't be confused because the word gospel's in it, and we're used to thinking gospel means good. To reduce everything to the gospel is to turn a blind eye to sin. It's to never talk of the law, that thing which shows us our sin, but to force oneself to only talk about the gospel. Well, how can everything be reduced to the gospel when the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ being killed to save you from sin? from death and from the devil, dying in your place under the law, not under the gospel, under the law, setting you free from your captivity to sin. To grasp the good news of the gospel, we must actually acknowledge what makes it good news in the first place. We must confess that we are indeed sinners, and we know this because of the law. Without knowing it, this woman was suggesting that I be like the prophets that God denounces in Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17, today's Old Testament text. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it should be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, oh, no disaster shall come upon you. See, to speak of love without understanding the context of our sin is a vain hope. It's to, it's to do so in a vacuum, and that's not real. Disaster falls upon those who stubbornly follow their own heart, who, who want things to be the way they want things to be despite reality. They want their imagination affirmed and realized when that's not true. To speak of love more than sin, by which people mean to downplay the reality of the law, which shows us our sin, is to speak from one's own mind and not to speak from the very mouth of the Lord. We don't want to be in a place where we're hearing what we want to hear, but where we're hearing what we need to hear. We want our God to tell us the truth, not to lead us on. But this is what we're faced with today. 
to use the language of Matthew 7, our gospel reading, people actually want false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's what people actually want today. The world, to shift metaphors along with the gospel reading, actually want bad trees because they've convinced themselves that bad fruit is actually good fruit. In the same way that you convince yourself that french fries are healthy because, well, you prefer them to green beans. And french fries are potatoes, right? What did Paul say in Acts 20, 27? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, both his law and his gospel, my friends, his law and his gospel. People today don't want the whole counsel of God. They don't want the law. They just, just give me the sweet nothings. Give me the pie in the sky. Give me the rainbows and butterflies, the cotton candy and all the good stuff, but don't ever tell me anything that might actually sting. They just want niceness, as we talked about last week. They want affirmation in whatever makes them happy in the moment, but not in the long run. Tell me how good the french fries taste. That's what I want to hear, but don't you dare tell me anything about heart disease. You kill joy. And too many pastors are willing to scratch those itching ears. And so we hear from Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This text is actually the basis for this week's sign, so check our website on that. We have the archive for the sign that goes up every Monday. I'll get it up tomorrow. What I told the Human Rights Commissioner was that I speak of sin when I speak of the law. And yes, I know, it's a scalpel that cuts deep. But it's a scalpel, it's not a switchblade. It cuts for a purpose. It cuts so the Lord may get into our hard hearts, open us up, and heal our sins with the gospel. We need the law. We need to know where our sin is, to diagnose it, so that we can hear the gospel, so we can be stitched up, have the sutures, the ointment of the good news that makes us whole in Christ Jesus. And she was wearing a mask, so I don't exactly know how she took my reply. But it doesn't matter. You and I know that it's a false dichotomy to propose something as more talk of love than sin because to speak of sin is an act of love. Those two things aren't set apart from each other. They're one in the same. Christians, Christians understand this, and this is what I mean, that her hope was telling our pagan neighbors don't. They don't get this. When I preach the law to you, you repent of your sin and you rest in the gospel. You, you rest in the healing of the gospel because you've been cut open by the law. But when the world hears the law, they don't, they don't react that way. They just call us names. And we're not the first Christians to endure this. And other Christians have endured much worse. Luther's opponents called him severe and a sharp physician, having a bad bedside manner. 
Worse yet, they called him a bold, rebellious, contentious spirit. And my favorite, don't tell anybody at the North Coast Journal, a wild, drunken swine. And Athanasius, too, that great defender of orthodoxy against heresy, against Arian heresy, against the, the preeminent charge of heresy, was also thought to be unloving by his critics, even though he fought for truth. It's said of him that it was his vocation with unfaltering boldness to stand up for the church's exact and orthodox belief, to resist the course of error, a duty as difficult as it was important, and he was called he was accused of pride for all of this. He was accused of being harsh and stubborn. Certain it is that in his breast of iron, his biographer says, which he ever offered to the enemies of truth, he hid a royal measure of love to the flock that he led and to the whole church of Christ, as it should be. How very Christian, strong to the outside enemies, tender and gentle to the sheep behind. He was firm against those false teaching wolves because of his love for the Lord's sheep. Very Jesus-like, if you read our gospel lesson, Matthew 7, 19 gets to the quick of it. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ooh, how stubborn of Jesus. Doesn't he have any room for compromise? No. Truth doesn't compromise with evil. It wouldn't be truth if it did. Sometimes well-intentioned people, nice, congenial, and pleasant people can encourage us into sin. And sometimes, get this, my friends, sometimes we are those well-intentioned, nice, congenial, and pleasant people. And we, we ourselves can encourage others into sin. And because this is true, the instruction that Paul gives to clergymen should be applied to every single Christian, even if he does not have the charge of a flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves, Paul says. Be alert. Acts 20, 28 and 2031. He's speaking in terms of doctrine, and he says he didn't shrink away from declaring the whole counsel of God, the, the law and the gospel. But after his departure, he says fierce wolves would come in among the church, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, he says, will arise men speaking twisted things, lies, to draw away the disciples after them. Paying careful attention to the whole counsel of God, to his law and his gospel, is what keeps us alert so that we can be honest about sin and truly know love. So that we can bear good fruit as good trees, not cut down, not thrown into the fire, but healthy, not diseased. So dear saints, my friends, let us repent of shrinking back from the whole counsel of God and from our efforts to inappropriately avoid being considered unloving because that's what our friends and family members think of us when we speak truth. And let us remember that it's the Father's will. It's his will that we want to obey. Not the will of our peers, not the will of our neighbors, not the will of man who speak nice thoughts out of their own minds 
but not from the mouth of the Lord. It's our Father who knows the truth about you. He knows that you love your neighbors when you speak honestly with them. When you are bold with the word of God for the sake of your neighbor's eternal well-being, he knows that is love, even if the world calls it hate. You know the Lord, dear Christian. You will enter the kingdom of heaven. You are not workers of lawlessness, but repentant Christians living in Christ's perfect keeping of the law through your baptism into his life, death, and resurrection. So my friends, be at peace. Be at peace knowing that your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, died for a reason. He died to save you from your sin. When you hear of your sin, know that it's because you are loved. It's because Jesus loves you that he died on the cross for you. Amen.